Hey, welcome everybody. It's EJ. This is Draft Politics, episode 420. We're here at Maplewood Brewery today, and with me always is... It's Steve here. Uh, yeah, so not a lot to talk about this week once again. Nothing to Jeez. see here. <laughs> so we're going to try to keep this lighthearted because, you know, talking about wars and stuff is always a little bit of a downer for some reason, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, also, one other programming note, uh, we're going to do the national and the local stuff all as one big podcast because there's not a lot local to talk about except for weed, of course. So, and a little politics, but uh, you want to get us started, EJ? What's what's going on in the what, world? What's going on? I mean, this is the question I have been asking myself every day for the last week when I wake up and several times during the day, are we at war right now? Right. I don't know. Are we at war? So... Uh, do you remember that famous tweet from Donald Trump where he said, I think President Obama will start a war with Iran? And purely for like political reasons to yeah. get reelected, yada, yada, yes. Uh, so. Aged like milk right yes, there. Yes. Aged like milk. So Iran, back in the news. Yeah. So I think it's important like to just sort of like get the kind of facts of what's going on as much as we know them at this point, and then we can talk about kind of what's going on, why it's going on, et cetera. So... Uh, apparently, I say apparently because who knows, really, but uh, Donald Trump ordered the assassination of Qasem Soleimani uh, by a drone strike. He was visiting uh, militia in Iraq. Yes. And uh, drones attacked and ended up killing him. Wasn't uh, that the second Star Wars movie? Yes, I believe it is. Uh, which trilogy, though? I'm confused. Anyhow, uh... Soleimani, you've probably not heard of him unless you follow this kind of thing, but he was the head of the Quds Force in, in Iran. And you're like, well, what's the Quds Force? Um, and so the way Iran's military works is there's a part of it that is sort of just the secular part, if you will, and part of it that is falls under yeah. the religious leadership. Yep. And so the religious leadership is the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps is their military. And underneath that is the Quds Force. Right. And so you can think about the Quds Force as being the group of people, the military group, that spends the most time outside of Iran. So when they want somebody to help a proxy force in, say, you know, Iraq or in Yemen, they send the Quds Force. Yeah. And uh, Qasim Soleimani was, you know, by all accounts sort of a a military genius who's been running this group for a long, long time. Yeah, so they're kind of like a little bit of CIA, a little bit of like, you know... Delta Force. Delta Force SEALs kind of thing. Um, you know, so it's a little bit of a mix. And it's hard to do direct comparisons just because the way their government is structured is so yeah. different. But, but yeah, I think the important thing to take away from it is he is a member of their official government military. Yeah. He's not some non-state actor he's not some random terrorist right. wandering around the middle east he's actually part of the government structure you could equate him i think to somebody like the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff well no or somebody on not, the joint because it's chiefs lower because he's not that high up because there's the there's the overall revolutionary guard and then he's under that okay so as far as i can gather but you know i it's funny because i've heard reporting saying like he's the head of the military but then it's like well sort of but not really so where he fits in ranks pretty high up, and I think more critical to a lot of this is he's very, very popular. Right. Like, and they do 
actually do polling in Iran that's pretty robust polling. They don't ask what people think of the Supreme Leader because you just don't do that. But no. uh, there's one checkbox. Right. Uh, Soleimani uh, was had over like 90 percent approval within the country. Um, I tried to find a comparison for that. If you can think back to uh, General Schwarzkopf in the Iraq War, uh. he was at around 90% approval. So, like, that's the level good of... Good old Storm and Norman. Yes, good old Storm and Norman. Um, so, yeah, so they had a funeral for him. Like, millions of people showed up for this funeral. The photos of it are kind of amazing. I mean, there were three funerals. Yes, and there were multiple funerals, right. too. One in Iraq. Yes. Two in Iran. Uh, and d- at one of the funerals... In his hometown. In his hometown. 50 people ended up dying because of a stampede. Uh, another 200 injured. So, like, kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. And so, and it's also, you know, just a little history of this. Like, he has been seen as a threat to the U.S. for some time. Uh, Obama had considered going after him. George W. Bush had considered going after him. Uh, neither of them thought that was a good idea for a variety of reasons. Yeah, and what I had heard was that he is somewhat a target of opportunity. So yeah, it's somebody that they keep track of all of the time, or they did keep track of them uh, all of the time, and would be aware if he were going to be in a vulnerable position. Now, the flip side to this is that he's been in this ongoing going Twitter war with Donald Trump for a long time, meme war, meme battle, um, yes. and he said... Everybody knows where I am, but I'm nobody's going to touch me. I'm untouchable. I mean, he's he's been pretty upfront about that. I just so he is somebody that is well known to security professionals. He was not somebody skulking in hills or anything that they had to you know really work right. at. They to didn't find. Have to go. Yeah, he, I mean, and he, and he is routinely traveling around, meeting with different groups. So it's not like he's hidden. So it just they finally decided. It seems. To attack him, it's not really clear why now specifically. Now the the, the logic yeah. we've heard many different things about this. One is uh, it is presumably somewhat of a retaliation for uh, a contractor who was killed by a militia in Iraq. Right. Noting that that contractor was killed in a counterattack for an attack by the U.S. that killed like 25 militia members. So there's like and there's been a sort of low level back and forth. For some time, sure, and then the protests at the U.S. Embassy, and the, yes, and the, yes, and the the militia that was primarily involved in those protests, the leader of that militia was killed with Qasem Soleimani. Yes, so he was there meeting with him in advance of a vote in the Iraqi pro- parliament to decide about whether or not they were going to continue to allow U.S. troops in. So, so the protests were abated by an agreement from the Iraqis to say, we will vote on whether or not to allow U.S. troops to remain inside of Iraq. Mm -hmm. So Soleimani was there in advance of that, presumably to lobby. Perhaps. Um, And there was also a lot of reporting around uh, him being actually there as part of an attempt to sort of de-escalate the situation, like working with them... Uh, communicating with Saudi Arabia, the U.S., to try to, like, calm things down. So it isn't clear 
whether he was possibly baited into showing up there and then we decided to attack him or, you know, who knows. Um, and let's be clear about this guy. Like, I, you know, he's not a, you know, he's not an emissary of peace, really. He's, he's, he's a guy, he's a military commander who's, who's run guerrilla and, you know, sort of extra governmental activities for a long time. Well, um, and I, you know, and I think it's... There are no good guys in war. Well, but and that's... And I think that's the thing that's important to remember is that a lot of the, the talk around this has been saying, he, you know, he was a bad guy, but we shouldn't have done it. Well, is he a bad guy? And, and it's like, because he is a soldier fighting in a war, acting on behalf of his country, that we happen to be having a conflict with. It, and if you looked at it from their perspective, you know, the, the generals that we have in charge of our country would fit a similar mold. They are responsible for killing many people, et cetera, et cetera. Like, is Rumsfeld a good guy? He happened to be fighting for our side. Granted, I think our listeners are probably all universal to say, Rumsfeld, not a good guy. But the morality uh, of what's going on is, is something to consider separate from the, yeah. the strategic reasons sure. for doing it. And. Uh, I will say, since you brought that up, I had seen somebody say, like, well, maybe actually it was you. Like, what if they had killed Donald Rumsfeld? I'm like, and I'm like, well, could we pick somebody else? Well, that's how I actually got back to uh, Schwarzkopf. Because I'm like, okay, but who would be somebody who was actually that popular? Like, you know, if, yeah. if, if you know, at the conclusion of the Gulf War, Schwarzkopf being very popular and Iran out of nowhere, you know, just drone strikes him. A, they would have had to have drones back in, like, the 90s, which would have been pretty impressive, but... Skunk works, man. That's right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. The so, aftermath has been varied, I think, is a good way to say there's, it. There's a lot that's happened in the last couple days. And I don't know about you, but, like, I felt like, okay, we killed Soleimani, and it's just like, I'm now just waiting for... Okay, well, oh, yeah. we know something's coming. Yeah, so everybody was waiting. What's going to happen next? Right, so, you know... Pompeo and Esper came out and said, like, oh, well, we know so they're going to do something. We just don't know what. And Donald Trump came back and said, do whatever you want, but know that if you attack us, we're going to commit some war crimes by bombing. You know, cultural by sites. Yes. Cultural sites. And then yeah, and it was 52 cultural sites, one for every U.S. hostage during the Iran yeah. uh, hostage crisis at the embassy. First like, of all, I'm surprised he remembers that. He Second doesn't. of all, wow. He doesn't. And then Mike Esper came out and said, no, 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 no. That was not us. We're not talking about attacking these cultural sites because we know that the Geneva Convention explicitly forbids that. Yeah. And, you know, if you're Iran, what do you say to that? Like, well, isn't the president in charge? Like, it's just some great trolling material if you're them. But, like, who do we believe? Mike Esper, who's... Uh, Maybe going to be there next week. Maybe not going to be there maybe, next week. Maybe we get Raytheon. Hard to say, you know. Yeah. Or, you know, the president's tweets. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, like, my guess is that it was some some person within, you know, one of, one of the races who sort of operates within Trump's cabinet was like, this is what you should say. And he's like, oh, oh, yeah, totally should do that. Like, way to not narrow it down. Yeah. So, so outside of that, the Iraqi parliament did vote. Yes. And they approved a non-binding resolution to ask the U.S. troops or demand the U.S. troops, all foreign troops, leave Iraq. Yeah. And basically what it boils down to is that the current prime minister 
is an acting is acting because the previous one was kicked out of office. Uh, I don't know the exact details of it, but basically the current acting one is more of a caretaker and can't really act to remove us. Right. So they would have to have an election, have a new guy get in power, and then he would have to decide. So that, so for all that Trump and Trump has threatened to like put a bunch of sanctions in place and da da da, like who knows what's going to happen at this point? Like I just love that there's a Democratic vote. We take over a country. Yeah. We push for democratic values. Now, nobody's perfect. No democracy is perfect, right? As we well know. But there's a democratic vote in that country, and the parliament's like, this is what we'd like to happen. And our response, our president's response is, great, we're going to treat you like the worst enemy ever for having a vote. That bodes well for 2020, by the way. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, well, and the funny thing about all this is, like, even if they voted to remove us, the way the agreement is worded, uh, we have to give, they would have to give us a year notice. So right now, you'll notice that we're in about that time where a whole other president might nominally be in charge of the U.S. when it would be time for those troops to be out. Your so, mouth to God's ear, sir. So who knows what's going to happen? So it's, it's, it's crazy. But, um, yeah, so from that, you know, we've got... Uh, yeah, so Trump threatened sanctions. Um, we've got Canada. We've got other NATO allies pulling their troops out of U.S. areas, like trying, you know, out of the green zone. Kind of just like we don't want to have anything to do with this. We don't want to get caught in the crossfire. Um, Iran said they are suspending restrictions on the nuclear arms agreement. Yeah. This is Javad Zarif in some interviews. Yeah. Said this, uh, and I, I love the way that he said it. I love the way that he said it because it was like, we're not leaving. You've already left. Right. You know, they're very careful about their language yeah. with this because I think they feel they have the high ground. Well, and I think if you look at the way Iran, if you look at the overall way that Iran is approaching this, their audience is not the United States. It's their domestic audience, and it, it's Europe. It's, we want to look like we're being the sane and reasonable ones, and we're trying to do the right thing, but this guy over here yep. keeps screwing things up. Because ultimately right now, yes, the U.S. has a lot of sanctions on Iran, but Europe and other, other members of that treaty have not imposed any further sanctions on Iran at this point. Now, and... Although they haven't fully lived up to everything either. Right. Partially because of what we've done. And so what you're seeing here, I think, all of this kind of swirls around this idea that there just isn't faith in the good-natured behavior of the United States as a national or international actor. Yeah. So, like, I'm not... I'm not endorsing anything that Iran does in the least. What I'm saying is they recognize the loss of prestige that the United States and credibility that the United States has suffered over the last, I'm just going to make this up, three and a half years, you know? Right. It puts our people and our allies in a lot of, Tough situations. For sure. For sure. Um, so last night we had the sort of 
first sense of what Iran was going to do right. in response to all of this. And so my experience of this was I was out going out for dinner uh, with, with my wife and a friend of mine, and I walk into a restaurant, and I look up at the TV, and CNN is on the TV, and I see the Chiron saying missile attacks on U.S. bases, and I'm like, oh, goody. I can imagine you like Grandpa Simpson, like walk into the restaurant, take your hat off, put your hat on, walk out of the restaurant. Well, and like it's interesting because my last memory of walking into a restaurant and having like some big news event happening that I saw on TV was when uh, uh, Obama managed to take out Osama bin Laden. Like I walked in, very different vibe to that. I'm like, yeah. Whereas this one, I'm like, oh god. Uh, um, here we go. But what's interesting about all of this is that. The attacks seem to have been very targeted. Like, so uh, they did not, they hit U.S. bases, but they did not hit anything of particular value, and, and they did not hurt any people at those bases. I don't know about the value part, but I definitely know that nobody was injured or killed by these missiles. Or depending on the news reports. Depending right. on the news reports. So that's where this also gets interesting, is yeah. that Iran's media is saying... Several people were killed. 25. I think it's like 25. Very specific number. Very specific number. Kind of equivalent to the number of militia members that were killed by the U.S. You see the correlation. Uh, U.S. reporting is that there was nobody killed. Now, who's telling the truth? Who's not telling the truth? I, I tend to believe that nobody was killed. Uh, that seems more likely. That seems more likely, and I think it sort of plays to the strategic interests of everybody involved. Right. So, you know, we'll f we'll find out. Um, but yeah, so that's that's been the extent of it. There's no clear threats to do further attacks. Right. Most of the language we've seen coming out of Iran is like this was a this was our retaliation under the UN Charter that allows us to act in self-defense. So it all seems to be broadcasting. We did what we are, what we should be doing in this scenario, and this is, should be okay. And there's been no indication from our side no. that there's going to be any escalation. Right. And Donald Trump's speech today seemed to indicate that he was going to. He was good. He was done. Yes. He spent the time. You know that he's he doesn't really want to do anything else because, one, he's not hanging out with his friends trying to prove that he can bomb somebody or kill somebody from a distance. Right. Two, he's started to blame Obama somehow. Yes, yes. So, yes, he's saying that Obama funded Iran's missiles because part of the nuclear agreement was we released funds that belonged to Iran but had been held in U.S. banks, um, you know, prior to all the freezing of it. Uh, of course, most of the missile or all the missiles, as far as I know, were ones that existed prior to any of that happening. So they have this arsenal of, of ballistic missiles, um, you know, and is a standard blather referred to Soleimani as the world's top terrorist. Said they'll add additional sanctions. I don't know how we could add additional sanctions yeah. on Iran at this point. Like really going to tighten them down there. Huh, right. Um, you know, it, it's sort of the standard stuff. Also, interestingly, he continued to claim that ISIS is 100% destroyed. Sure. Um, and I'm going to come back to that a little later in this conversation. But, um, <laughs> yeah, actually, I can go into it now. Um, so <laughs> it's interesting to see how Trump has dealt with ISIS during the course of his presidency. 
Because yeah. you recall that was one of the things where he's like, I've got a secret plan for defeating ISIS and, and all of that. And so far, his secret plan has been all over the map. So in March of 2019, he declared ISIS 100% defeated. He just reiterated that. So there's no, there's no ISIS anymore, except, of course, there is. Except there is, right. Um, Trump pulled our forces out of northern Syria, which undermined the Kurds. That led them to releasing ISIS prisoners, and also they weren't, were no longer fighting ISIS because they were dealing with threats from Turkey. Right. And now, we're but then, but then Trump assassinated the head of ISIS, so that was great. But it was almost impossible; like it almost got screwed up because of the pullout from Syria, and right. you know, just not having logistics on the ground. And now he's just killed Soleimani who was the person from Iran who was largely in charge of fighting, fighting ISIS. ISIS. And because of the threat of Iranian reprisal from all of this, U.S. forces have stopped fighting ISIS because they're busy hunkered down in their bases to make sure they're defending themselves. So this whole fighting ISIS thing doesn't really seem to be a priority for him. I, you <laughs> know, and, and uh, to give him... A bit of the benefit of the doubt. As you can probably <laughs> <Really>? hear <laughs> from the discussion, there is nothing I can think of that is as messy as the myriad relationships and people involved in the Middle East. Oh, yeah. And nobody's on the right side. Nobody's on the wrong side completely. You know, like Bashar al-Assad, pretty much on the wrong side, I would right. say. He's... He's probably one extreme, yeah. you know, uh, but there's no way to, well, if you're only interested in your own tactical self-interest and you make all your decisions that way, you will appear to be on everybody's side and nobody's side all of the time. Yes. And... You know, the, the thing that I repeatedly heard from others and people thinking about it was that there is no strategy. It is sort of what's very interesting right now. And if they, you know, if it takes longer for the real impact of this to come out, uh, Donald Trump's okay with that. Yeah. And, you know, and it, in right now it seems like there's been a, a move towards de-escalation. You know, who knows? Which there may good. be some. Which is good. We like that. Yes. We, we're all for that. Um, we'll see what happens. There may still be the possibility of, you know, terrorist attacks or whatever. And, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it all unfolds. But um, I know there were threats of, like, posting to Twitter sort of memes threatening Trump properties and things like that. Um, you know. I can't hate that. So, you know, it's interesting. Like, I was thinking, like, where if they if they attacked Mar-a-Lago was, like, kind of where my mind started going. Like, they would actually probably do a lot of damage to intelligence services throughout the world. Because, like, who else is a mar I mean, like, yeah, figure there's like, it's like rich assholes and intelligence services, and that's the only Secret people. Secret service. Yeah. And you got to think, like, that's a some guy who's, like, the intelligence service for some obscure country. Djibouti, just because I find the name fun. Djibouti's intelligence service has a membership at Mar-a-Lago. Some guys go in there, pay to just hang out and play golf for whenever Trump shows up. <laughs> like, there's got to be some cushy deals going on there. Oh yeah, but yeah, yeah. And Djibouti, if you're listening, 
rate us on iTunes. Exactly. And put the word hashtag emoluments yes. in the rating. There you go. I, so one interesting thing about this is, you know, I, I guess there are two kind of legal constitutional issues here. So one, we did use the word assassination earlier, which has a very specific term meaning and is illegal yes. in the United States. Um, so there's, there's <laughs> not that it stopped us in the past, no, no, no. but <laughs> no, no, please, by all means, um, we're usually a little more subtle about it. Yeah, though. but there's also just this this idea of what does the president need to do in terms of notification. So the War Powers Act says you can't just do stuff and not tell Congress. You've got to tell Congress. You've got to brief them on things. Uh, he did come after a few days and say, like, yeah, this is what I did, and here's a classified briefing that, according to Pelosi, raised a lot of questions. There's supposed to be another briefing tomorrow at the White House. And then he sent what is the most on-brand for 2020 or our lives right now tweet that said, as of right now, this tweet will serve as official notification of, you know, the status of the war with Iraq, with Iran. It right. was like, follow me on Twitter for updates on the draft. And, it, you know, surreal. I found myself wishing that Twitter would just shut down Trump's account. Like, there's no reason they can't do it. They're a private corporation. They're not... The government has no control over it. They're going to say, you know what? We're done with this crap. Yeah. And Trump would lose his mind. Where would he lose He'd his mind? He'd have to have. Yeah, that's true. 4chan. There you go. Or 8chan. 8chan. 16chan. 128chan. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Certainly powers the real, two. The darkest dark of the dark web. Uh, the higher the number in the power of two, <laughs> the further down in the depths of hell. <laughs> 2048 Chan is Dante's Binary Inferno. Um, so, <laughs> um, my new band name. There by the way. you go. Uh, my yeah, nerd they shut core it down. band name. Yeah, exactly. yeah, like something like that. I'm like, where would that go? So if they shut it down, he would lose his mind. Yes, and more we would so. all gain a little bit of sanity. Yes. The world would be a better place. I have the no question about that. The world would be a much better place. Yeah. Um, so the overall arguments for why this attack happened was that there was a... And, and here's how you know they're lying. First of all, they're talking. But second of all, they keep saying different things until something seems like it sticks. So, like, you know, they talked about him just being a bad guy, you know, etc. They talked about there being an imminent attack. And then everybody's like, well, what was the attack? Well, we can't tell you. How imminent? Well, mm, you know, a few days, yay. a week, a uh, few days. Okay. So you're telling me an attack that was going to be executed within a few days could be stopped by simply killing one guy. That all of the people who were involved in the planning, da 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 da. Guys, and, better not do that. And the general who would be appointed to replace him could not possibly execute that plan. Thanks to, you know, thanks to that one assassination effort. None of that makes any sense. So they're lying. And, and, and then Pence was like, uh, he did 
Yes. Something. How about 9-11? Yeah, he, said, yeah he was saying that 10 of the 9-11 hijackers were, were linked to Soleimani. Yeah, like, that, that Soleimani made sure they could get through Iraq for their training yeah. or something. I mean, it was... Well, and, like, it further indicates to me that Giuliani's been very heavily involved in the administration. Because if anybody likes to refer back to 9-11, it's Giuliani. Um, yeah, and so then, uh, yeah, like I said, Iran said that Soleimani was actually working to de-escalate with the local militias. So it seems contrary to what is being said by our truth-telling administration. Although Hashtag that seems equally, equally unlikely, you know? Yes. Well, you know, I don't know. Like... Do I believe there was an imminent attack? Absolutely not. Do I believe that there's some possibility he was working and negotiated an agreement? 30% chance. Like, it's possible. 20% chance. There we go. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. All right, all right, all right, all right. We got it. Maybe 20% that's, chance. That's, that's our official number. Official number. Thank you. Uh, so, of course, you know, as if things couldn't get any weirder Yes. Then this morning... A plane crashed outside of Tehran. Yeah. A 737, not, not a, a Max. Max. <laughs> uh, which I, I feel bad laughing at a plane crash, but this is the weird world we live in. Yeah. <laughs> 737 crashed, and it was a Ukrainian plane. Yeah. And I saw that it crashed, and I, I was like, I, I, I saw last night that it crashed, so, and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. Like that, I just, the, the, it's 737, which is weird. Where it was at, super weird. I'm like, this cannot get any weirder. And then this morning, I was like, oh, it was a Ukrainian plane. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I, uh, unbelievable. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an atheist, buddy. But he, seeing things like this makes it like, huh, huh. that's interesting. <laughs> and you know, my understanding is that you know the Ukrainian air carrier sort of posted this thing that said it was engine failure. Which is kind of surprising because the 737 has two engines and every plane needs to be able to operate with one. And evidently that plane had been inspected in service three days ago. Also interesting. Yeah, it's, yeah. But then they There's deleted that. really weird going on there. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of the sum of it. Um, I find myself, as I, was, as I was walking over here, thinking about how cold Why any of this happened in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so we, and, and especially in light of everybody, it seems to have sort of backed off of the, the wall. Um, I'd also heard some reporting that the missile attack had been done, had been negotiated through a back channel with Iran. Now, this is all a little speculative, so who knows? Um, it would jibe with the fact that nobody was killed, that right. they had very specific targeting. Probably on uh, Snapchat. Right. But, like... Bombing but you tonight, girl. Like, okay, so we let us, let us take on faith that there was not an imminent attack because that doesn't make any sense. Trump kills Soleimani. Yes. Why? Because, you know, a week from now, a month from now, nobody's going to remember the hell he did it. It's not going to affect the politics. It briefly distracts from impeachment, but, like... Briefly, like we're already starting to talk about impeachment again. So, what is what is his benefit? And and 
on Iran's side, like, it's pretty clear that they did not want to take this to the next level. Like, they no. could have, if they had gone out and wanted to, like, seriously cause some trouble and really get into a fight, they could have done so. And I think they are thinking strategically and saying, look, we don't want to, we know we would lose that war in some fashion. Yep. And if we play this right, we can maybe put a wedge between the U.S. and Europe, you know. So I just, like, why did this happen? And I just don't understand it. And where I kind of came to was maybe this was an accident. As much as Trump immediately was like, yeah, we assassinated him, sounds like the kind of bluster that Trump likes. Yeah. That he comes out there and he's like, and they like they, they, they plan to do the strike, and it turns out Soleimani was visiting there, even though nominally we track him. But, you know, how so many people would be fired in the Pentagon or have left the Pentagon? And, yeah, you know, so they, the real target was the militia leader. Right. And, and that Soleimani happened to be there. It's like called a lift at the wrong time. And it may even have been they found out, they knew he was there, and Trump's like, ah, to hell with it, let's bomb him anyhow. Yeah. And then somebody was like, you know, and then we could gone back to Iran and be like, our bad. We didn't really mean to do that. That was an accident. Didn't know he was going to be there. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's that's obviously super speculative. But <laughs> otherwise, like, I mean, I, look, there's a non-zero chance that the strike was launched because Somebody at a dinner party with Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago said it's it's not like you could just pick up the phone right now and kill a dude in Iraq. Right. And he's like, I, you want to bet? Yeah. I could do it. Just yeah. wait till tomorrow. You know, like, it's not. I'm not saying that's a likely chance, <laughs> but it's non-zero, right? <laughs> so, so Trump's like, Trump's like want to bet? And the guy's like, you don't have any money to bet. He's like, ah, the Russians got me credit. Yeah. I'm fine. Um, Million rubles. Yeah. And we know, you know, and there was like, there were various resignations at the Pentagon in the last month or so. So maybe this was planned planned in advance, and that has something to do with it. There have been resignations since then. It, it not, oh, nothing makes sense no. in Trump world. Could, could, look, I need to lighten the mood. Can we talk about impeachment? <laughs> uh, let's toast to whatever the hell this is. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what to do. We're almost at the beer break. No, we're not. But uh, we got impeachment. Less impeachment news because we've been talking a lot about Iran, so not enough bandwidth. But, but it's a good segue. The uh, the war Lorax, yes. John Bolton, who was all for the assassination of Soleimani. Yeah. Is now yes. like, hey, man, need me to testify? I, I don't care about those House subpoenas, but those Senate subpoenas. He's such a... He's such a bullshit artist. Hot, so hot action. He from says the he'll Senate testify subpoenas. to the Senate, and like a day later, McConnell comes out and says he has the votes to hold impeachment without witnesses. So it's like, well, now that I know I'm not going to have to testify, I'm I'm going to go ahead and say I'll testify, because he knows that's not going to happen. Um, Pelosi is still holding on to the uh, articles of impeachment. Um. So what do you think about that now that now that we've had this announcement from McConnell? Right? So we talked about this before. Is it a good strategic plan? Well, I think that if 
if you pass along the articles of impeachment and the Senate holds something that is nominally a trial but is largely rigged for, for show, Trump, yeah. and they vote to acquit him, then that's something that Trump can go back to. I have been acquitted. On the other hand, right now, he has been impeached. And so I think politically it's still to the advantage of Pelosi to hold on to them. Now, granted, I think when we get to late October of 2020, nobody's going to care about any of that. That's not what we're going to be talking about, that he was impeached and therefore we should vote against him. Like, it doesn't, it, it, it's, it'll be on, fought on totally different grounds. There will be all kinds of other crazy uh, stuff going uh, on. I mean, I think that the biggest thing, if he actually shows up for any kind of debate, is that he's going to have to face that in every debate. And get angry and be terrible. Yeah. Because he will be angry about it. Um, he'll be really angry about it. Trump be angry? Really? I don't, I don't How? Nah, that doesn't happen. Um, you know, and actually this, this reminds me about something else I want to mention during the Iran segment. Is like, how many foreign intelligence services are going to want to be involved in our election? I can only assume all of them. <laughs> right. I mean, because I'm like, well, that's Djibouti, one. That that's, guy in Djibouti now in Mar-a-Lago. Like, that's like, one thing that Iran could do in response to this attack is, you know, do some hacking during the election to make sure Trump doesn't win. And and Russia could be trying to work to make sure Trump does win. Or and Germany could be working to make sure Trump doesn't win. And, like, maybe Iran wants Trump to win. Maybe. Uh... So I could see like this being sort of this weird like cyber warfare operation happening between multiple countries all competing to who's going to control our election. You know, so like and and being Maybe that we could sell that. Well, and being that it's federal, like it'll be like the state of Illinois defending itself against like 30 different intelligence services. <laughs> like Yeah. It's going to well, not the state of Illinois. State of Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Like Whoever's in charge of IT for their election systems, I have so much sympathy for them right now. It's going to be a very, very long year. I know, and people are like, who should I support in the elections this year? Like, IT folks. That's IT who you folks need to support. in the key battleground states. Yeah. Two-factor authentication. I'm, I'm going to buy a whole bunch of the keys, you know, like the right. Titan keys from Google, ship them out to everywhere. Yep, yep. Whew. So, yeah, but anyhow, uh, I think that's pretty much what I got for impeachment. Uh, I got a little There is something that I just want to bring up here, and yeah. that is, you know, we're seeing that uh, Susan Collins, uh, bastion of centerism, centerism and rationalism. <laughs> that was a sarcasm pause. <laughs> um, is now, you know, sort of flip-flopping. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do whatever anybody wants. And she's getting a lot of money from Donald Trump. Or, you know, or his campaign. his people, but yes. And so, if there, in my mind, is an argument not to do an impeachment in an election year, Citizens United is that argument. When you can get unlimited money to, to bribe the jurors. Well, yeah. I mean, but that's true whether it's an election year or not. As the promise says, it's United is that there's all these unlimited resources of like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna do that. Actually, I saw an interesting article uh, 
today, I think it was, talking about our revolution and how it's a super PAC. And it's like, well, and, and it was like, we can, we'll get, you know what, I'll save that for Circus 2020. But, like, uh, the money in politics is a problem. But, you know, we'll, we'll get to that later. Uh, so, yeah, so that's impeachment. Uh, before we move on to international, I just want to step back and say it's not World War III, everybody. Like, I think there was this sense that as soon as we conducted that assassination, like, the, it was an uncontrollable oh, yeah. series of dominoes that there's going to be this tit for tat and we're going to be having this multinational war. And like, yeah, that could happen. But probably not. People have strategic interests. Trump has personal interests. And, and, I, and as much as I think Trump is a dumbass and uh, a bad actor, he does have self-interest in recognizing that Iran, a war in Iran is not good for him. No. So, but, you know, is he enough of an idiot to stumble into it? That's a totally separate scenario, but. Well, and everybody around him is pretty inexperienced. Yeah. That's the other thing. And he is a bad actor, and that's why Canada took him out of Home Alone 2. Right. (laughs) It's a thing, people. We've got to be funny. Or maybe it's just kind of hard to say. Um, Just briefly outside of Iran internationally, everybody should remember that Australia is still on fire. Yeah. It is the beginning of their wildfire season. Yeah. The beginning. And already an area larger than Ireland has burned. Yes. And there are over a billion animals that have died. Yeah. Like, I, I, the scale of it, I kind of looked at the scale today. It blew me away. I mean, it blew me away. I remember all of the time and energy spent on, you know, some fires in California, and you look at it, and they were 8% in size. Now, of course, population density is different, yada, 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 but the impact is unbelievable. Yeah. Well, and it gets me back to one more point on Iran, because I want to keep talking about Iran. Not really, but I have to talk about it. Um why are we still in the Middle East at all? Because, I mean, practically speaking, the main reason we've been there all along is because of oil resources. Like, climate change is real. It is happening yeah. right now. It is happening in Australia. And we actually had a recent uh, study by scientists where they can actually look at the weather data and start picking out the, this is the part that's actually affected by climate change. So they can look at, like, like, Instead of it just being like, there's climate and there's weather, they can look at weather now and see climate change in it. So we need to like stop screwing around with this drilling oil out of the ground no matter where it's coming from because we're all screwed. And, you know, maybe not me because I'm into middle age and I might get out of this before, you know, all the icebergs melt. My health but, isn't great. I'm right. Just, yeah. You know, if I have enough beer and french fries, you know, I'll be fine. Um, but It's good beer. It is good beer. We'll get to that. Um, But, you know, children and grandchildren are absolutely going to be screwed by this. And so we need to start thinking much more strategically about all of this. And and Australia is definitely feeling the pain of that right now. Their politicians are. Yes. Yes, they are. I mean, if you want some good, good fun, especially on the schadenfreude side, watch all the videos of Australia's prime minister going around talking to people. And they are. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> not polite. No. Uh, 
So, so, yeah. so <sighs> <laughs> we got feel through so it. Good now. We got through it. We're we're all okay. Talking the about apocalypse is not here. Talking about Scott Morrison's climate denial. And oh, actually, one more thing. Yeah. One more thing about international, because I do want a happy note. The prime minister of Finland, who is 34, has and the fact that she's 34 is notable because she's only 34. Uh, this week she said we should all be working a four day six hour four day a week six hour a day work week yes yes this is good unrelated i'm moving to finland <laughs> and you know uh, i and love your nokia I love phone isn't going to get any updates soon I, you know finland norway sweden all that like that'll sound lovely then i think about like how dark it will be there in the winter and i'm like i can't do it like Chicago is already a little struggle for me, and like I couldn't, I couldn't do the. No, everybody gets free vitamin D supplements. Oh, socialized medicine. Right. <sighs> Anyhow, on to the circus. On to the circus. All right. Election Circus 2020. So, where do you want to start? I'm going to start with everybody's favorite social media platform. Facebook. Oh, that's oh, that's my favorite. Oh, right. Right. So this week, there was a memo that was released, a, a very senior Facebook person who essentially said to everybody internally, hey, guys, I know that we won the election for Donald Trump in 2016, but don't let that make you think that you can impact the election in 2020. <laughs> oh, goody. Yeah. And he's like, essentially, like, I'm no fan of Donald Trump. But we won the election for him. We're awesome, but don't do it again. Don't anybody mess with this. Don't. Like, really? Uh, like, what, what kind of email is that? What kind of memo is that? It was how, many, how many intelligence services have employees at Facebook now? Much like your last intelligence service question, <laughs> I'm going to answer <laughs> all, all of, of the them. above. Yes. <laughs> Except Djibouti. Except They've Djibouti. only got that one guy, and he's working at Mar-a-Lago. Right. And, you know. Limited resources. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's that. Uh, a Republican uh, election circus update. Yeah, so yeah. Bill Weld surging in the polls up to 0.002%. <laughs> and apparently some of the state parties are fighting to keep challengers off the ballot. Yeah. Like Wisconsin just it was like, screw you guys. Right. I mean, you know, here's the thing. It's like there's... You know, it's a party election, so if they want to keep somebody off the ballot, that's their choice. Um, you know, it, it's you know, obviously undemocratic, but hey, it's the Republican Party, so it's that's a, not really outside. Brand, yeah. Yeah, it's not outside their wheelhouse. Uh, on the Democratic side, on the Democratic side, we've lost Julian Castro. Yes, and he has proceeded to endorse Warren. So. Yeah. I think that's probably the most major endorsement at this point. I mean, there have been some candidates who dropped out and did endorsements. Um, but, you know, Castro at least had some nominal following. Not Never really got high in the polls, but at least, you know, was on the debate stage consistently, et cetera. Right. So. And so the, the last, well, and only Hispanic candidate in the election. And now, I mean... And now everybody can just focus on, will he be a VP nomination? Yeah, I mean, and the read I get is that, you know, if Warren managed to pull this off, I think Castro would probably be at the front of the line for her VP candidate, which I think would be a good choice for her. Um, 
but you know we'll we'll see we'll see how that pans out. But um, going back to Iran because I love talking about Iran. Oh, <laughs> my head. Um, you know, obviously this came up, and they you know the cans had all their takes on it. Um, generally speaking, Biden and Buttigieg have said that you know killing Soleimani may have been justified, but wasn't a good idea. Warren initially kind of came out sounding in the same manner, but basically both of them, both her and Sanders, are just against the whole thing as just being a bad idea in general, whatever he did or not. Um, both have talked about acting in the Senate to do what they can to stop further violence. Because it's McConnell Senate, they can do nothing. Uh, so, yeah, so that's your, your, your more Iran update. Yeah, and I, I, we've seen a lot from Warren about, you know, sort of questioning the timing. Why now? This doesn't make sense strategically. Why would he do it now? And there was a, a fun exchange on The View with Warren and, and Meghan McCain about this. <laughs> I did not see this. Oh, uh, man. I'm sure, that was classic. Well, I mean, I've already, I, I, I will honestly say that I believe I have used up my The View viewing quota for the decade, <laughs> which is nice. Uh, but it was, you know, kind of Meghan McCain trying to get Warren to say, don't you think he was a terrorist? If you couldn't hear my eye roll. <laughs> Turn up your speakers. Yes. So, you know, and I think, you know, look, look, Bernie is always going to be on message here. You know, he's he's the anti-war candidate. For sure. Of all of them. Yeah. He and has got the street cred on that 100%. Yeah, and it's like, do I trust... Like, Warren and Sanders, I know, are definitely not going to start wars. I'm reasonably... I, I'm pretty sure Sanders would tr pull us out of a lot of what we're in. A little less so with Warren. Buttigieg and Biden, I have no idea what they would do. Like, I mean, I know that they wouldn't go starting a war unnecessarily, yeah. but, you know... Who knows? Well, and remember, like, Buttigieg doesn't know what he would do either. Yeah. I mean, he's still... He's I mean, the foreign policy of South Bend is quite robust, but... Yeah, you've got to work... You've got to worry about incursions from, uh, from Michigan. Right. And sometimes the Amish insurrections. Absolutely. I was trying to remember the name of the other town in The Simpsons. Not Springfield, but the other one. I was going to say Eagleton, but that's definitely Parks I can't remember the name. Those of you who are Simpsons fans are, like, shouting it at, into your uh, podcasting device just at this point. But shout it into iTunes. Yeah, right shout it into iTunes. So uh, but polling, though, has seen some interesting changes in the last couple of weeks. All right, I mean, I think nationally... You know, again, depending on where you Shelbyville. look. Shelbyville. Shelbyville. It's true. I knew I'd get there eventually. Uh, do they have a monorail? Uh, so nationally, Biden still had Sanders in solid second, as he has been since the beginning of December. Warren and then Buttigieg. But as we start looking at the individual states, things are getting a, a little more interesting. Yes. Uh, yeah, so Sanders seems to be in the lead, if narrowly, in both Iowa and New Hampshire, which, for those of you not keeping track at home, are the first two races. So, that uh, could be very interesting, because if he wins those two, that's going to create a lot of a sense of 
he's got momentum behind him, and you know it'll drive a lot of the media to talk about it. You know, somewhat to their resentment, possibly, but <laughs> it will get through the the Bernie blackout and all that for sure. Uh, you know, and something that I found interesting, and and we've talked about this before. Uh, you and I look at polls from different places and different averages, and I th- I know you're. Uh, you enjoy the real clear politics. I kind of mix them up. I've gone back and forth, but that's where I've been lately. But yeah, you know, I like the five thirty eight averages. Um, you know, Nate Silver and I are you know grew up in in a similar part of the world, so maybe that's it. But um, even even with that, those differences, like those last polls uh, from YouGov, which isn't a great poll. Let's be clear, YouGov not not great. Yeah, but. Like Sanders, Biden, Buttigieg, all at 23%. Like, that's pretty yeah. insane. Well, I, mean, I it, feel it's like. Certainly up for grabs at the very least. I feel like the, the other story related to this is, is Warren fading. Like, Warren had gained a certain amount of yes. position in the race. Uh, a lot of her turn around Medicare, however you read that, I know that um, I felt bad about it. I know that other people I know who were Warren supporters uh, had turned towards uh, Bernie at that point. So I feel like she's instead of sort of like finding a way to sort of split the difference between Buttigieg and and Bernie, she's basically conceded some ground to Sanders without making it up on the other side. Yeah, and I think, you know, in in all the polls that I've seen, state level, she's five or six points back. Yeah. Um, Not insurmountable. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's not, you know, you look at it and you say, like, people are trending different places. She's been the steadiest uh, for a little while, but it's going to be an uphill climb for her. Yeah. And ultimately, this comes down to who's got the votes when it comes to the convention. If we have a brokered convention, you know, however that gets negotiated, who knows? But I don't want to talk about brokered convention. I don't want to talk about the Bloomberg, the Bloomberg effect, unless you do want to talk about it. But you don't, you don't, you don't. And remember, Iowa caucuses February third. Yes. So, so that's not very many days close. away. So if you're planning to help get out the vote in Iowa, why are you sitting here listening to this? Well, I know. I, I will tell you. And I know firsthand that you know if you're in Illinois and you want to go knock doors in Iowa this weekend. Bernie's folks and Elizabeth Warren's folks are bringing people to Iowa to knock doors. Yeah. And that will happen every weekend from now until then. Well, and what I think is going to be interesting to see with the Iowa caucus is I know that both of them have those kinds of resources where lots of volunteers who are willing to come out from here. Does Buttigieg have those same resources? Maybe. Does Biden have those same resources? Unlikely. Yeah, I haven't seen, and again, look, I'm not the be-all, end-all of Chicago politics and what's going on here. I know people I, I, in I believe our podcast of, says differently. Yeah, well, I know people in Biden's, or in, not Biden's campaign, in Bernie's campaign, in Warren's campaign, and in Mayor Pete's campaign. I don't know anybody in Biden's campaign. The only Biden guy I've seen was the person we mentioned who I saw ride his bike to Costco who was so, sitting in the office chair reading the paper. Do you think that guy is in Iowa? It's a long ride, sir. It's That's not the true. rag, Bry. Very good point. 
So, I, you know, it's I, I kind of cold to ride yeah. your bike to Iowa. I could imagine that that uh, Pete's folks are going to be there. Yeah. That they'll get, you know, they'll get folks from Chicago and Northwest Indiana. And I know he has connections here, so. Yeah. Oh, I mean, most of the the campaign apparatus in Chicago for Pete Buttigieg is quite large. Yeah. And one of the, the problems that other campaigns have had is recruiting against, you know, people who aren't sort of true believers for Bernie or Warren, you know, sort of the more, you know, sort of figuring out who they want to support. Those folks who need a job are, uh, it's, it's been hard for people to compete with the number that have, t- have gone to Pete's campaign. Yeah, and unless you're spending Bloomberg money. <laughs> I'm thinking about working for Bloomberg. I'm just saying. I'd right. Whew, he's even got health care. I wouldn't work hard. Don't get me wrong. No, but. no. no. <laughs> Why would we? <laughs> so, you know, again, the polls are the polls. I, but we are not far away. In Yeah. And if not to make you have a little bit more work here. Shit's getting real. Indeed. And, I, I mean, that, that first caucus night, I mean, we should commit to podcasting that whole night and just be watching. Are they returns? What do you call it in a caucus? It's the yeah, uh, high right. school gym groupings come in all right, night. Right, right. Um, and maybe we can have some prognostications about that. Uh, we do have another debate, though, coming up, Right. Yep. Next so week. Next Tuesday. Uh, yeah, so I'll be hosting uh, Drinking Liberally that night. Uh, Are you going to be at? Uh, we'll be at O'Shaughnessy's, the O'Shaughnessy's. usual spot uh, in, in uh, Ravenswood, if you want to come on out. I mean, that's right on Ravenswood at the train. Yeah, right? like yeah. literally on Ravenswood. And so Wilson, it's pretty easy maybe? to find. Ravenswood and Wilson. Yep. Um, there's only going to be five candidates this time, which sounds lovely to me. How are they going to fill the four hours? Right. Jesus, please tell me. Please tell me they're keeping it to two. I don't, I, you know, and honestly, I was like looking this up yesterday. Like, I couldn't find even when the debate started. No. Like, two days ago. I'm like, when does the debate actually start? They're just waiting until the last minute. So, I don't know how long it's going to be. I don't know when it starts, but it will be next Tuesday. Um, it will be the last debate before the Iowa caucus. Um, so, I expect, like, if anybody's going to make a move, this is the time to do it. So, you know, expect Klobuchar to come out with the, the Buttigieg shivs and, uh, We'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah, that will be interesting. I I think that I do think that Klobuchar. I don't think Klobuchar is gonna gonna be on the Buttigieg shivs. She's gonna be on the Biden shivs, possibly both, and or maybe both. Uh, and you know, Warren and Sanders will try to stay above the fray. I mean, because I think for like for Klobuchar, she's trying to finish third. Yeah. Warren Sanders are happy first, second, or third. Yeah. Um, Biden's happy second or third, although he's trying to, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, Prediction time. Uh, Okay. Do you believe that we will talk about Medicare for all during that debate? No. (laughs) I don't think it comes up. (laughs) 
Being being needlessly contrarian, are we, EJ? <laughs> no, I think that... Or is this going to be like the all-Iran debate? I think that foreign policy to is going to take a big, yeah. a big, you know, a big sort of lead there. I think we'll talk about ethics and corruption. Yeah. You know, because, you know, honestly, the impeachment trial could start between now and then. It could. It is within the world of possibility. I, I look at EJ in disbelief silently, so I've now announced it because you wouldn't know I was doing it. Um, I, <laughs> I think that Medicare for all will not be the big topic. Now, that said, I have not spent any time in the last 12 seconds since you asked me this question looking at what the most important issues are to voters in Iowa. But certainly... We can assume ethanol subsidies is yeah, like somebody at will least that, yeah. the first three. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that is something that will come up. What's what's interesting to the the voters in Iowa? Yeah, and I, I would I would expect that foreign policy, immigration policy, those things will come up. Yeah, um, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out with Biden having the most experience in foreign policy. Um, Buttigieg having his military experience, Sanders having his anti-war record, uh, and Warren also being there, and Klobuchar also being there, because I don't feel like they've really got any particular advantage in that. But, you know, honestly, I feel like for the average voter, there's very little difference in foreign policy experience between Warren, Klobuchar, and Biden. Actually, I know. I th- I think that there is purely on the fact that they know he was vice president. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if we're if we're going to get down to that level, maybe it's they've like, seen Veep and they're like, "That's the worst job in Washington." Well, that could be too. So, yeah. So uh, I think that's pretty much it. Oh yeah, one other thing I want to just briefly mention: there was a really good article I saw in the Root, um, and the Root, and also the Young Turks have been doing a lot of investigations about. Uh, Buttigieg's history in South Bend and uh, the police department in South Bend. And The Root, uh, if you don't know, is a website that was formerly part of, well, I mean, I guess still is part of the Gawker Media Group. Um, The Gawker Media Group, which was a solo entity until it was sued into oblivion by Hulk Hogan, not making this up, who was backed in his lawsuit by Peter Thiel, who made his money as a... uh, one of the original employees at PayPal, uh, who's a big Ian Rand fan and a big Trump fan. I'm just saying this. This for is background. like a three degrees removed conspiracy theory. I mean, sudden, it is crazy, right? <laughs> but I'm not kidding about the. I'm not kidding about the Hulk Hogan thing. No, no the Hulk Hogan thing is totally legit. Uh, and um, he was he was sort of backed by Peter Thiel there. Yeah, because um, he wanted to wipe out Gawker. Right. So. Because they outed him as 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 being gay. Yeah. So, so there you go. Uh, Anyway, please carry on. <laughs> yes. So the root, a website, you you've now know its entire history. Um, but uh, they they did this really good investigation talking about uh, the history of black police officers in South Bend, uh, you know, and and what their interactions have been with Buttigieg as mayor of that. Um, there have been n- complaints of racism within the department. Uh, none of those complaints have been met with any sort of response from the department or from uh, Buttigieg himself. 
Uh, Buttigieg has been pretty dodgy in terms of responses on this. And, you know, I, I look at it and as we look at him as a presidential candidate, I see like two flaws with it. One is obviously as the, you know, a, a white mayor of a city that has a, a black community in it that he seems to have, on the, at least from what I've seen, has largely ignored. That's a problem. Because you, you need, at the very least, on a pure practical level, you need black voters as a deeper issue. You're, you're ahead of a Democratic Party, or if all this goes according to plan for him, you know, you need to be, reach, you, you need to yeah. be engaging with everybody. Um, and this and, was and at the same the time that he released a, an ad yeah. that highlighted African-American yeah. folks in and in And so he keeps kind of stepping in these messes along the way in terms of how he responds to these things. And there's the, the very good chance that if he won the primary, that this stuff would come up, that, that there would be revelations about this stuff that came yeah. up as he's running for, for office. And the last thing we need is somebody running against Trump who can be portrayed as having problems relating to the black community. Because if we're going to win this, if we need to rebuild the coalition yeah. that got Obama elected. And that means getting as many black voters out to vote as possible. And it and that's not just playing lip service to them and 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 all of that. That's actually I, having meaningful policy, meaningful act interaction and listening to their to their needs. I'm totally with you. And I'm going to say this. I don't take this stuff and this reporting as signs that Pete Buttigieg is a Republican or uh, like all of the terrible things people say about him. I take it as being he's inexperienced. He's a guy who has been well coached. He's a very intelligent guy, has made it, you know, he got elected as mayor. He outkicked his coverage a little bit. Yeah. You know, but that doesn't mean he's a terrible person. I think he's not figured out how to do the job of mayor yet, and so he shouldn't be running for president because of it. I mean, that's part of it, I think. But I think there's, like, a deeper thing here. And actually, I feel like Biden and Buttigieg have a similar problem in that in their politics, they've not seen the black community as being an important thing to think about. Like, I don't even know, I'm, I'm really struggling to phrase this stuff, but like, you know, like Biden, you think about like, you know, he's reaching out to segregationists and, and working with them. Like, you know, and like at that time in that place, it's the same kind of mistakes that I think Buttigieg is making now in this time in this place. And like yeah. different, different scale, different times. But I think it's like, it's, it's this, in his sort of yeah. white version of the world, looking at the way this all unfolds and not really thinking critically about how to approach these things. And I, you know, we're, we're, we're two white guys podcasting. I, it's something I, I try to understand better and talk about better, but I have deep concerns about Buttigieg because of what's going, what has, what has and has not gone in, on in South Bend. So, anyhow, if you uh, liked our insights, think we need to say more, think we could say things differently, please let us know. Yeah, tweet at us. Tweet at us. iTunes, comment yeah. us, Facebook us. Find us on WooWoo. On what? 
Just making up social media networks at this point. <laughs> we'll register that uh, in the next couple minutes. Can I talk about where we are again today? Because yeah. I love this place. Yes, you can. We were at the Maplewood Brewery and Distillery. It's on Maplewood F, just south of Addison. I. We've been here a couple times. This is number two. It's, it's number time. two. We've actually, actually been, here, been three here three times. times. Yeah. We've only recorded podcasts here twice. And I, I realize that this is a place that if I lived near, I would be at all the time. They have some really good beer here. And it's like, and it's a it's a small space, so that's what, actually the reason why we didn't record the first time, just didn't have yeah. anywhere to do it. Um, but these beers are great. I start off with the Crispy Cakes, which is a golden ale with marshmallow and vanilla beans. It's kind of, very much a sugary kind of flavor to it, but super delicious. Um, and I've now uh, gone on to the Brownie Points Nitro. Uh, definitely a, a departure, a little more bitter, uh, but not harshly so. Really good, like, coffee notes to it. Lovely beer. Somewhere between, like, a brown ale and a, and a porter. Yeah. Yeah, because they have all their stouts. And so, you know, Maplewood is home of beers like... I don't know, Juice Pants and Son of Juice. I had a Son of Juice to start. Yes. Which, you know, I walk up to the beer menu and I was like, ah, I'm going to get something different. I have to get the Son of Juice because it's so good. At g- great, hazy. Um, and now I've got the Chill Air, which is a Vienna lager. So we've gone to a lot of different places with different styles. This is the first place I will say, and I hope that none of the other brewers are listening here right now but that has done a really nice vienna lager like Metropolitan. vienna lager no 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 hold on hold on wait for it <laughs> and a really hop forward like a juicy ipa oh i see what you're saying so okay, like yeah, metropolitan yeah. dovetail their german beers are are fan but this has more of a spectrum too yeah it. but i had a really amazing new england style ipa yeah. and this and this chill air, I, I, and I, I, like That's I, like I a couldn't very ask good for point because like a lot of, I think a lot of breweries they have like the thing they do well. Like if I want like an authentic representation of a style of beer, uh, I go to uh, Dovetail. Like they're like their their lagers are very good German lagers. Um, they also have like their and then they have like their sort of Chicago's yeah. like sour kind of sure. funky things. Um, Half Acre. They drift hoppy. Um, they've got a lot of good, like, IPAs, pale ales. Um, drift hoppy is another good band name, by the yes. way. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, I don't know what kind of band. We'll get to that later, maybe. Uh, but, yeah, no, but they do have, like, a good spectrum of beer here. So that's, a, that's an excellent point. And they've also got some amazing cocktails. I have had a cocktail or two here. Super good. They've always got, like, frozen things on tap, which is amazing. Yes. And let me tell you my favorite thing today, curling on TV. Curling right now on TV. Yes. You know there's a bar in Chicago that has, like, curling facilities. Have you, you can curled? Go curled? I've curled. I have not curled. I've curled. Yes, the uh, Kaiser Tiger has, like, go there, have, like, sausages, and then go curling. It's a thing. It's real. Sounds like a euphemism. But speaking it? of Chicago, I know we're trying to condense things today. Can we spend just a few minutes talking about what's going on in Chicago? Yes, in the state? we can. 
Uh, so the big thing is pot is now legal. Uh, so uh, we had the first sales happen, uh, you know, at the beginning of the new year. $3.2 million in sales on the first day, uh, which is a record for any, any state that has opened up. Suck it, um, Colorado. Suck it, Colorado. Um, lots of wines for all of these dispensaries. I actually, so I'll, I regularly walk down Clark Street just to get some exercise or whatever. I walk past a dispensary that's there, a Sunnyside dispensary. Is that the uh, 33 dispensary 33? No, no, no. That's the other way on Clark. Okay, the Sunnyside is over. Like, it's like if you were going to go to a Cubs game and you want to buy pot on your way to the Cubs game, this is probably the one you'd go to. Cause it's that, like right that'd be the legal there. place that I'd yes. go to? Yes. Uh, so, yeah. So, don't go, don't go to the scalper pot dealers. Just go to that. Anyhow. Uh, but they, they had this elaborate setup with, like, you know, apparently, like, uh, they're right by Uncommon Ground, and you could, like, go in there and wait for your turn to go in to buy pot, and they had lines up and down the street. Uh, but, like, last weekend, I walked by there on a Saturday, still long lines. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, there's been shortages like and remember the way the law works is that the medical uh yeah. side of things is protected they will have a supply for them but you know the the there's been fluctuations i know dispensary 33 was like checking people in at like nine in the morning and then running out by 9 30 so it's like you know they're getting shipments as they go you know so imagine probably in you know next couple weeks to you know a couple months things it'll will all settle level out. out a little bit i, I do have a uh uh in I, I will say a, a, a non-mentioned acquaintance who said on January 1st, he got a text from somebody who maybe he had done some transactions with in the past who said, congratulations, weed is legal. We still strive to be your, we continue to strive to be your most efficient and economical delivery system. So right. free market alive and well here in Chicago, both uh, totally legal and slightly gray market. Yes, which I, I really it's appreciate. fascinating. Yeah, I mean, so it's like it's interesting because then like the black market has to. I mean, the prices I gather are you know not unreasonable with the with the uh, legal weed versus illegal. Um, you know, so like yeah, it's going to be that sort of thing is access and delivery services. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out over the long sure run. Sure, there's an app for that. Yeah, I mean, like, once you once you have it in your possession, you know, that's all Who perfectly cares? legal. Yeah. Selling it, not so much. So uh, a couple real other news things. Um, uh, this week we saw sort of coming out of the teacher strike, uh, part of that in one of the last-minute things was a $25 million increase in pay for veteran teachers and there was an impasse or a disagreement this week between CTU and CPS about what that actually meant CTU essentially saying no no, no you promised that those would be step increases so raises so in in CPS as a teacher you get these step increases every year until your 14th year and then they go up a lot, there are a lot bigger gaps between those steps. Um, and CPS said, no, 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 we're going to pay that $25 million out, some as raises, but mostly as bonuses. And there's a big difference between getting a raise, you know, there's a big difference between your boss telling you, 
that you're going to get $10,000 more a year versus $10,000. Yeah. Because one is compounded, one is not. And the details around this $25 million were not written into the contract. And so... You know, so it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it is what it is. I mean, the C, you know, ultimately CPS is the ones who are writing the checks. Yeah. There's nothing legally that CT can really seemingly do about it. And it's not really necessarily worth striking over again. So, I, like, I will say Bernie Sanders has weighed in on, so, sure on the has. side of the CTU, but it's, it's something to keep an eye on and, and interesting. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I want to bring up uh, is John Arena. So, John Arena used to be the alderman of the 45th Ward, very popular alderman, seemingly pretty progressive, part of the Progressive Caucus. Lost but also to in a more conservative part of the city as well. So. Yes. So lost to, I don't know, uh, Bob Jardinier. A Republican. Yeah. Um, that's not, his in name Chicago. is not actually Jardinier. But he is a guy that is, I mean, he came into office and he started acting like he was, had been an alderman for 30 years in the 60s. I mean, he was totally in it for yeah. the long trench coats and whatnot. Um, and, you know, uh, John Arena had been a, a big advocate of some uh, affordable housing projects, and one in particular, and there's a big history around this. Uh, don't want to get into it right now. So he, he was not reelected. And, you know, kind of a bummer for a lot of progressive people. He then was given a job by the mayor, and I actually saw John Arena and talked to him on election night, on the runoff election night, at Lori Lightfoot's election party. Uh, he ended up getting a job in the planning commission. Uh, pretty good paying job. Everybody was like, this is great. He's actually kind of a last laugh on all y'all who said he shouldn't be around because he's, you know, going against aldermanic privilege and things like that, or prerogative. He was he resigned uh, slash retired slash was fired this week because he was out collecting signatures and campaigning while in this nominally apolitical position. Yeah, um, and it's the kind of thing that you know under previous administrations would have been par for the course, but you know we're in a, we're in a little bit different time now, yeah. and that's a good thing. And you know I, I think John Arena is a good guy, and uh, you know it's a shame that that's that's where he's found himself, but you know. It is what it is. It is what it is. So the other thing, just to note real quickly, is petitions are in. Everybody who's going to be on the ballot in March, March 17th. St. Uh, Patrick's Day. Oh, man. They've all submitted their petitions. There are still ballot uh, challenges going on. But ballot access is essentially done. So you'll see things on your ballot from the candidates for president down to your local, you know, your local party rep. Uh, pay attention to them. Yeah. Uh, people will be knocking on your doors more and more. Give them the time of day. Bring them in. Give them something warm to drink. going to be a lot of cold people out there walking up and down the stairs of Chicago homes. Perhaps a, a fine brown ale from Maplewood if that's if that's their pleasure. So, you know. But I think that's it for today. Next week it'll be are we still or not at war and uh, who's in the who's in the debates. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, rate us on iTunes. Comment on Facebook. Ping us on Twitter. Slide I, into I our assume, DMs. I assume we have an account there. 
That's pretty much I it. I don't even know what that means. Instagram. We're not on Instagram. No. Why? We don't take photos of anything. What would be the point? Maybe we should take photos of our beer for 2020. That should be our New Year's resolution. Take, take inst- Get an Instagram photo of our beers every week. Maybe. They'll all be empty. Tune Thanks, in. everybody. Find out more. We'll talk to you soon. Take, take care. care. Bye. Bye-bye.